This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today's topic is a very timely topic. We're going to be talking about the best college planning strategies. With me today, I have financial planner Kelsey Banky. And Kelsey, when you're talking with people about college, do you find that this time of year is maybe a little bit more in everybody's minds because it's starting to be back to school time? I would say so. Uh not only are parents who are sending their kids back to school talking about it or thinking about it because now they've got to, you know, pay for books for the semester or um, hit that tuition bill or uh, finalize their financial aid, but also parents whose kids are hitting new milestones in high school are Mm -hmm. really starting to think about it. So um, you have the people whose kids are going to be seniors this year that are like, oh my gosh, next year we have a lot of money to pay. And (laughs) this year we have a lot of money to pay because seniors seem to be really expensive. So um, it's definitely... um, a hot topic this time of year. So let's go ahead and talk about college planning strategies. And the the thing about college planning is it's kind of broken down into a couple of buckets. It's how do you save money for college, perhaps starting when your kids are younger, but then when you get to college age, how do you set things up so that you're deploying what you've saved the best way or at least trying to minimize some of the student debt and things like that that is a uh, person could walk out of college with. So we'll start with those youngsters who are going to be heading back to school sometime soon. And the college savings world, at least in my career, has radically shifted over the last 20 years. I mean, it used to be that you just save some money in a savings account for college. And then there was savings bonds that people were using. And then there was maybe a custodial account, which we'll talk a little bit about, that people were using. Then education IRAs become something of a topic. And then 529s came into play. So all of these things have shifted over the last 25 years that I've been in the financial industry. And some of them have really good provisions, and some of them have some kind of gotcha provisions that aren't necessarily so great. So we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the pros and cons of different ones. It's not meant to be an end-all, be-all comparison, so you definitely have to do your research, but we want to hit the highlights of things. So I would say that right now the most popular or the most common college savings vehicle is probably the 529 plan. I would agree with that, and and there's a couple of different reasons for it. There's a lot of flexibility uh, built into the program and and one of the main reasons people like it is you don't have to assign the end beneficiary at the very beginning. You need to assign a beneficiary at the beginning, so probably one of your children or grandchildren. But if one child's education ends up being more expensive or if one child decides not to go to college and not incur any of those expenses or, you know, who knows what our kids are going to do when they get there, um, this particular program allows you to shift the money that you saved um, to different people along the way. So if none of your kids end up using it, then you can pass it on down to grandkids and, and it just has a lot of flexibility in who gets to benefit from the money. And I really like that. I mean, any time that you can add flexibility, I think that that's better off. Because in the t- let's say you start saving for your child when they're one, and they're not going to use this money till they're 18. 
we don't know what's going to happen in the next 18 years that's going to change what's available for college planning. Like I just said, in 25 years, there was a lot of different iterations of it. So just because you start with a 529 when your kids are young, it's nice to have the flexibility to perhaps shift and change what your goals are or what the end results are going to be. So here's one of the things, I guess, the basic premise of how a 529 works. Number one, the ownership or the control of it is going to be in the hands of either the parent or the grandparent who puts the money in. And you're going to select the name of a beneficiary, like a child or grandchild, and you can change that, as Kelsey said, you can change that beneficiary to any other family member without penalties or limits or things like that. I do believe that most 529s only let you change the beneficiary maybe once a year, though. I think there's some limitations with that. That's right, yeah. So when you put your money into a 529, one of the first decisions you have to make is this. Which one are you going to (laughs) use? So every state has a 529 plan. You can use any state's 529 plan. And you can go to college in any state and use any 529 plan assets to plan for it. So you might be wondering, well, if that's the truth, why are there so many different plans? And it's because Section 529 is pushing it into the state law to handle it. That's why. So when you look at the different 529 plans, like we live in a tri-state, Iowa, or a tri-state area, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, So there are some definite differences between why somebody would use one plan versus the other. Yep, there are some uh, state tax benefits uh, that some people could qualify for. So a portion of your contributions might be able to uh, be more tax-favored than others um, in the tax year that you can contribute them. That's one reason. Um, The plans are a little bit different, but in general, they have all pretty much the same features to them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like other other uh, government type programs where a lot of the features are the same but the bells and whistles might be a little different so one company might be a little bit um, better with their technology as others but same kind of things are offered at each. So to give you an understanding of why we're saying that the states might differ, South Dakota doesn't have state income tax, but Iowa does. And if you meet certain provisions and you live in Iowa and contribute to the Iowa plan, you might be eligible for a state income tax deduction. There's no federal income tax deduction with 529 plans, but you could get a state tax one. Now, if you live in South Dakota and you invest in the Iowa one, there's no state tax deduction because you don't live in Iowa. So you have to be paying attention to what your own tax rules are and what states might be the most beneficial for you. The other thing about these state-run plans is that they frequently will have dual plans. So there might be a plan that you literally can go online and set it up yourself. And they also might have a plan that is an advisor plan where if you don't want to do it yourself or you feel uncomfortable, if you just want a financial advisor to help you with it, then you can use the advisor plan and work with a financial advisor. The the simple truth about that, though, is that the advisor plans have higher expenses than the, the direct plans where you're doing it yourself, and that's because somehow the advisor has to be compensated. So I don't know what your thoughts on this, Kelsey, are, but my thoughts are if somebody's at least tech-savvy enough to do it themselves, it's probably less expensive and more beneficial for them to do it themselves. Absolutely. The 
the online enrollments and getting set up, it's it's fairly simple if you understand websites at all. Um, it, <laughs> which you know, not everybody does. <laughs> which not everybody does. So that's nice that, again, that you have the choice to mm-hmm. do an advisor plan or a direct plan. But um, to keep your expenses down and to get more money into the plan for the the savings that you're trying to do, you know, explore that that direct option. And, and that wouldn't necessarily be my recommendation on all types of savings because there's so many different complexities built into the different programs out there. But 529s, the style of investments that they offer are pretty straightforward mm-hmm. and it's easy to follow through and you're going to get a program that makes sense for your child. And you might be surprised to hear financial advisors saying, hey, maybe if you're tech savvy, do the one on your own. But we are fiduciaries. We're always going to say what's in your best interest. And this is one of the areas that we can pretty confidently say because the features are so similar, there's a high likelihood you're going to be just fine if you do it on your own. Now, these features that Kelsey were talking about, I think one of the main ones that I want to, you know, key in on is the 529 world, there's no deduction when you put your money in, but the money does grow tax deferred, meaning you don't pay taxes on the growth while it grows. And if you use it correctly and it comes out for the right purposes, which is education, then the growth can come out tax-free. So that's why they're so popular. Everybody likes tax-free money. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good kind of money to have. So For sure. Now, inside of 529 plans, a lot of them are set up where you can pick some investments, but most of them have tracks that say, we're going to pick a pool of money based on the age of the child or based on the year that they're going to go to school. And then, like, if it's a younger child, it's going to be more aggressive. And as they get closer and closer and closer to college age, that pool of money is automatically going to adjust to be less risky the closer you are to being able to use it. So 529s have a lot of applicability, I think, right now. They absolutely do. And and so we said at the beginning, you know, you can have one plan and you can change the beneficiaries along the way. And early on when your kids are young um, or if your kids are really close in age together, then you, it might be okay for you to even have one plan for all of your kids and um, simplify things that way. But you do want to pay attention to the age-based track that you use or what investment you use because what might be suitable for your oldest child might not be suitable for your youngest child. Absolutely. Now, the tax law that was passed in Jan- in early this year uh, had a rule change in it for 529s. It used to be that 529s could only be used for higher education, so for college, but the rule change said that now they can be used for tuition for the younger years. So you can use 529 money for high school and elementary school um, as long as it's qualified education, if it's private school or you know Catholic school or something like that. And so the... Um, the applicability of them just got bigger. So one of the kind of funny things that I'm seeing people do now, which I think is actually very smart, is if you live in a state where contributing to the 529 allows for a tax deduction, and you also have a child that's actively in school where you're paying tuition, people are routing their money through the 529 and then immediately taking it out. So you throw the money in there that you're going to pay in tuition, get the tax deduction, immediately take it back out and pay the school, and you're you're qualifying for that tax deduction. Now, I don't know how long the states are going to let people get away with this. 
But right now I'm seeing that as something that people are doing and it doesn't seem to be getting unwound when they're uh, filing their tax returns. <laughs> so there's your tip for the day if you want to kind of hack the tax system, which I'm all for. <laughs> Use every uh, option out there that they give you. So there you go. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about the best college planning strategies, thinking about saving money for college as well as sending your child off to college well prepared. So we talked quite a bit about 529 plans earlier in the show, and now I want to talk a little bit about something called a custodial account, because I would say this is probably one of the the next most commonly used uh, type of accounts for people when they're planning for college. Now, The 529 plan is supposed to be used for education, and if you don't use it for education, you do have to pay taxes on the gain, and then there's a 10% penalty that you pay on that gain. So there's a little bit of teeth in it if you don't actually spend it the way you're supposed to spend it, which is why custodial accounts still have some legs, because a custodial account basically is just money that you have saved that's in your child's name and it can be used for anything that you want to. There's no restrictions on it. And I think people really respond to the idea of no restrictions. Again, the flexibility of, you know, if your kid ends up not going to school or needing to use the money for educational expenses, this can be used for anything else that you want to be want to use it for. So, um, if you're you're not sure, you know, it's it's hard to think about when your kids 2 or 3 what's going to happen in 16 years. (laughs) Are they going to be college material? You don't even know when they're young. I mean, there's so many different routes that they can take. So, uh, you know, not putting all your eggs necessarily in the 529 basket might have some merit. Now, there's a small level of tax advantage in custodial accounts. And basically, it is that the first $1,050 in earnings are tax-free. And then things are taxed. So there's a small amount of tax benefit with the custodial accounts. But one of the the benefits is flexibility, but the biggest con that there is when it comes to custodial accounts is technically that money is your child's money. A lot of people miss this point. I I, I talk to a lot of people who say they have a custodial account somewhere and they'll you know, on their child. And I, I know that their child's older than the age of majority. And I'm like, well, technically that's their money. And if they know that and they want to go blow it on whatever they want to blow it on, yes, they are entitled to do so. You lose control of that when your child reaches the age of majority. Now in some states that's 18 and some states it's 21, but I don't know about you. I don't really want my kid to have access to a lot of money when they're 18 or 21. So parents will often keep custodial accounts a little bit secret so that they don't run the risk of the child finding out about it and then taking it if maybe they're not on good terms with the child. But even if you kept it secret, that's not a that's not a great strategy because it's, you know, bordering on illegal. That's their money. Yep. The and taxation legal, should ha- should go yes. to them and I mean, after that age majority, any investment decisions should go through them. I mean, there's there's just so many things that make keeping it secret difficult and also not appropriate. But that's that's probably the biggest hang-up I'd have with that type of account is that your your child is entitled to all of the money to do whatever <laughs> they want with it. 
um, at that age of majority. So when I've talked with people that have had this come up or they know it's coming up that their child's reaching that age and they're going to be getting this money, it's really important to be doing education with your child about what's the appropriate way to use that money. What was it saved for? What would you like to see them use it for? Things like that. You know, avoiding the situation isn't probably going to make it better. Um, so use that as an opportunity to educate your child before they are entitled to the money so that they make good decisions once they are. All right, so those are two of the more common ways to save for college or save for later for your children. We're going to pivot now and talk about those kids that you're sending off to school. What are some things that you can do to prepare them for school that are going to help them not make financial mistakes once they're there? So stupid mistakes that college kids make probably could be an entire show. (laughs) But... I would like to keep it a little more positive than that. But here are some of the crazy things that college kids tend to do because they're just not thinking. Number one, they get offered a whole bunch of credit cards and they take them and they spend the money and they don't have any plan for how they're going to pay it back. A lot of the times they don't even have an income. So it kind of is. <laughs> Guess who gets stuck with that bill? Yep. <laughs> kind of a tough one there. So One of the um, things that I have seen parents do with that is that if you set yourself up with some good identity theft protection, then you get notified when new credit is taken out in your name. So I know that with students' permission, there are some parents that can see if new credit is taken out in their child's name, and um, then they're able to kind of track that and shut it down if it starts to look like it's going to become a problem. Another thing that... um, kids aren't really thinking about is the amount of fees. They seem like small fees, but they can add up. So a lot of kids are sent to school with debit cards, and when they go to withdraw money, they're paying a fee because the college that they are going to might be in a different location than their primary bank that their parents are using. So they're paying ATM or debit card fees for utilizing you know, the cash machines. And while it might only be three or four or five dollars to get the money out, if you're doing that on a very regular basis, it can start to become problematic from a type of fee standpoint. Um, And then another kind of silly mistake that seems small, but we see college kids all the time get nailed on parking tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Parking on college campuses, it's it's going to forever be a problem, I think. Where can you park? Where can you not park? And how many tickets are you going to get? So uh, the problem with that is is you might get a warning, and then pretty quickly the fees start climbing, and they're not cheap. They're trying to deter you from breaking the rules. So, um, you know, I don't even know how to get around that except for to just don't park there. Yeah. <laughs> and And one other thing that is kind of funny is, like, when you take your child to school – be mindful about spending a bunch of money on extras just to get them settled. So what uh, we see happen is that people are moving kids into college. They're thinking, oh, we're just going to run to Target and get a couple of things. And then $300 later in Target, they have all these things that really aren't maybe necessary. But your mommy guilt has kicked in and you just want your kid to have a good experience. And you know you're not going to see them for a while. And all of a sudden, you're just buying them a bunch of stuff. And this just sounds like... It's not going to happen to you, but speaking as a mom that took her son to college last fall for his freshman year, I'm going to tell you it's likely to happen to you. 
<laughs> or the the amazing visit to the bookstore. Oh God, yeah, that's not just... only to get your books, but to get all the stuff with the your school gear. name on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three hundred dollars later, you walk out of there with right. a few sweatshirts and a scarf or something like that. It, it just it adds up. It adds up, and now that one, you know, they they might truly need some stuff, and you do yeah, want them to get excited sure. about their school. But guess what? You, you kind of know what's coming, so. If that kind of spending is going to blow up your budget, do some planning and save for it. You know it's coming. You know you're going to have a lot of expenses when the kids go back to school. It's something you can be ready for. The best thing that you can do is to have very direct and clear conversations with your upcoming college student about spending while they're in school. And that's one of the better pieces of advice we can give you for them. So having a very clear discussion about a weekly budget, about how much they can spend. College kids are not thinking on terms of monthly numbers. They can think in terms of weekly numbers, though. So looking at here's how much you can take out of your ATM card once a week. Here's what you can spend your money on. And when that money's gone, it's gone. So if you're going to spend it all on beer and pizza the first night that you take the money out, you really are going to set yourself up for a struggle for the rest of the week. So having these good conversations and educating your teens about the usage of money and how to spend properly when they get to school is going to help them all the way through those college years. Now, we really didn't even touch on the Mac Daddy of college planning, which is student debt. Kelsey's very favorite topic. She gets all <laughs> kinds of worked up about student debt. And we don't have time in the show to cover that today. But if you if you are looking for advice on that, we've done shows on that in the past. And you can find them in the archives of the show on our website um, or on our podcast website. So we hope that this has been helpful for you to be thinking about the best college planning strategies. And we hope you and your youngsters have a great college experience. Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Marius Dirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturt Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.